This is Jerry D. Piano, and you are listening to the Love Mia Vita podcast. My podcast guest today is Louis Aloro. Louis and I met, wow, a number of years ago. I won't tell you exactly how many years ago. Um, it was uh, in the 2014-15 uh, timeframe, so it was a few years ago. And it was during that time that I decided that I wanted to learn more about the science of applied positive psychology, ended up getting a certification, and Lewis was my instructor. Lewis is a change agent. He works with individuals and networks and systems to enable positive evolution. And he has the distinguished characteristic of being one of the first 100 people in the world to earn a master of applied positive psychology from none other than the University of Pennsylvania. Yay! It's right in our backyard. We're based in Pennsylvania. I'm going to have Lewis share more about his background and how he arrived at this journey because he has been doing this now for many years, but he didn't start there. So, Lewis, share a little bit of your background with us. Hey, Jerry. Thanks for having me on your podcast. And hello, everyone who's listening. Yeah, how did I get to positive psychology? Well, sometimes I, I, I remember the experience of it finding me. One day I was reading the New York Times back in 2006, and there was an article about positive psychology. It actually was one of the first popular press articles about this burgeoning field within the traditional discipline of psychology, which for so long focused what was on what was wrong with people and fixing weaknesses, deficits, identifying your your challenges and 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 going from that perspective. And positive psychology came on the scene um, to say, hey, wait a minute, um, <laughs> we focus so much on what's wrong with people as psychologists fixing those problems? What if we focused on what was right? What if we put our attention on the, um, the, the strategies, tools, and strengths of the most happy people, the, happy, the people that are well? Because the truth, Jerry, is you could take away someone's depression, you could take away someone's anxiety, but that doesn't necessarily leave a happy person. So Martin Seligman, my teacher and mentor, is the one who said, hey guys, you know, we're half-baked. We focus so much on what's wrong with people. How about we focus on what's right? And so I just felt called to that calling of, of, of being a practitioner and a scholar in this field because, hey, uh, there's enough work for all of us, I say, in, in terms of, um, some of the some of the serious challenges that we have up against. And you're continuing on that path. Um, so I know that you are pursuing your PhD so you are going to continue down the path. You've mm. established the course in applied positive psychology of which I was one of your students. And you have numerous cohorts of individuals that have gone through the course because we all wanna figure out what is the secret sauce? So as you said, it's, it's not just about fixing, if that's the right word, fixing what we have historically been told is wrong with us 
we don't know what's normal. I'm not normal. You're not normal. What is normal? We don't know what that is, but we can find ways to work with that, that help us to feel fulfilled and to feel that we have a purpose in life and to feel that we have a connection. And those are all the elements that we can describe as important elements of applied positive psychology. It's not necessarily fixing what's wrong. That's what you said in the beginning. It's really about how to live your best life, how to mm -hmm. live a life that um, enables you to feel that you have wellness in your being, if that makes sense. Exactly. Building what's right, you know, taking your strengths and thinking about um, working from that perspective. Certainly, we all have our weaknesses and challenges. This does not take away those challenges, but positive psychology does give us some ways to cope with those challenges in a more um, healthy way, in a way that leaves the locus of control within me. You know, certainly the pandemic uh, and other, other um, you know, challenges that we have um, showed us the complexity, you know, of our lives and all of the things that changed. I, you know, the pandemic changed everything, right, Jerry? Yes. I mean, so much changed in the past two years. So how do we navigate change? How do we show up to change? Do we have the resilience skill set um, acquired? Do we have the the coping strategies that are adaptive? Certainly, you know, we, you know, we know what it's like. Uh, some of us, anyway, to to not go down that path. We noticed too during um, the past two years that women, in particular we're faced with the challenge of how to balance career, sometimes young children who were now not in school, but were home with parents who may have had their own health challenges. So thinking about how those women dealt with what was going on in the pandemic really resulted in over 2 million of them leaving the workforce. Talk about change. So these are women who may have been at the pinnacle of their careers. We're looking at that trajectory and saying, I've got to, I've got to get off the hedonistic treadmill. I've got to find a, a better way. And so for those 2 million women who left the workforce, and that's just in the United States, by the way, that had to be messy. But in that messiness, perhaps there was a silver lining. I always say I found a silver lining in the pandemic, and that is I found out what was good about being close to family and friends. You really began to appreciate that. You began to appreciate your own strengths and resiliency. So taking stock of all those sorts of things really um, was a benefit from this terrible time. If, you know, if that was the one thing that I learned is that we can, we can and we will persevere and we will find ways to strengthen relationships which are so important to us and find our own core competencies in all of that. But we did certainly suffer. So we know that we suffered. People began to question what they really wanted out of life, who they wanted in life, 
there were probably a number of divorces that occurred and, and some relationships that were built and certainly a lot of babies that were born mm -hmm. as a consequence of being in close proximity to one another. And those, you know, those relationships uh, certainly challenged all of us in a variety of different ways. But I, I'd like to focus on those five elements that are intrinsically motivating and that contribute to our well-being, because those are key elements, particularly for someone who is going through a change, whether it's changing a career or the loss of a loved one, perhaps you were in a partnering relationship and now you're solo. So how do we use the elements of positive psychology and what the science of well-being to help us to navigate through that? Well, first, it's it's just it's not all about being positive all the time. It's it's not about needing to find the silver lining even within challenging circumstances. So I, I'll just say first, you know, well-being is not without struggle. Uh, it's a great myth to think it's it's uh, it's about you know uh, everything always being great because the truth of the matter is, if everything were always positive, then we wouldn't know what that felt like anymore because we need things to compare it to. So life is about a full range of human emotions and experiences. It's not about being all positive. However, that said, um, it is about intentionally building heartfelt positivity and positive emotion, especially um, into our lives. Uh, we, we can find more ways to savor joyful moments, right? We tend to we tend to sit with our stress more so in our consciousness sometimes than we do our our joyful, grateful moments. So it really does um, um, ask of us positive psychology to kind of build that level of mindfulness and, and emotional intelligence around. Hey, what is good? What is working? What is right? Um, how can we get some more of that? Even if they're little glimpses for us, um, where can we find some of those little glimpses and then capitalize on what is already good and working and right? And that helps us develop this first pillar of positive psychology, which is about positive emotion. So I just say, I, I gave the caveat first, it's not about being all positive and it is about building some um, awareness of and 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 almost like a bank account, you know, putting deposits into our psychological bank account with moments of more peace, more joy, more love, more compassion, more empathy, more fun. I know when we when we first got on this podcast, even before our listeners were on, Lewis asked me the classic question. So, how's it going? And I said, it's mostly good. I learned that from Lewis. It's not always 100% good, but I try to think about what is mostly good. So what is mostly good? And you said it's like a bank account. So filling up the cup so that it's a little bit better than half full is a good way to think about it. It's not 100%. It won't always be 51%, but we can try to find that 51%. Yeah, it's, it, you know, because we can have uh, glimpses of toxic positivity, which exist out there. When someone is asked that question, how are you? You know, living the dream, you know, everything's great. Um, and, 
<laughs> I'm quick to call some BS on that just because um, not everything is great, right? There's people, you know, suffering and struggling in our neighborhoods, in our communities. You know, I live in Los Angeles, you know, we have a huge homelessness challenge, um, unhoused people. Um, you know, how do we how do we show up to those challenges? Um, so it's not about being all positive, but it is, I like that too, mostly good. It's mostly good. And when we think about what positive emotions entail, it's more than just happiness. So it's not about being happy all the time. Mm -hmm. It consists of a range of different types of emotions, which we con could consider positive emotions. So I think about compassion and when I am able to be compassionate, it makes me feel good. Um, sometimes I think about hope for the future. That makes me feel good. There are other, there are other emotions that, that are positive emotions where we can fill up that glass, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, there's different different nuances in, in those experiences. The second, the second pillar of positive psychology is about being engaged, right? So that's not about always being positive. Being engaged is, is being, um, being um, in flow, being in the zone, being present, really. When we're engaged, we're, um, we're there. We're, we're mentally there, we're physically there, we're emotionally there, we're involved, you know, when we're engaged. And it's often when we're using our strengths that we can find a sense of engagement in the world, either professionally, personally, or both. So what are some ways that individuals who are not, when, we're, when we think about flow, sometimes we think about flow in the context of the work that we do from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. or 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. if you're in healthcare and you're caring for humans or, or pets for that matter. We know that the days can be long, but there are different ways to engage. What are some of the examples that we can engage? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, just kind of having some, um, a bit of a ritual when you do kind of cross the threshold of your office, even if it's your home office, right? Just to kind of clear out one thing, create space for another thing, a small ritual of, of presence um, in those transitions can be really helpful. And then of course, minimizing distractions, which we live in a world we're driven to distraction, you know, so, so making sure that you know, we're doing everything we can to turn off the notifications, to shut down the email, to look at our clock and say, okay, for the next 30 minutes, I'm really gonna focus on this, this report that I have to write, or I get to write even, you know, with gratitude. Um, and then kind of time boxing in 30 minutes, kind of, you know, honor that, that pause, you know, take a break, you know, do something else, you know, for a little bit, do nothing for a moment. Um, you know, small things can have big impacts when it comes to being engaged. When I think about when I'm in flow, sometimes when I'm in flow, this is going to sound really crazy and goofy, but I'll say it anyway. It's when I'm cleaning my kitchen. 
because my work is largely cere very cerebral. So I work, so I work and act mostly from the neck up. So sometimes doing something physical and really getting in the groove, if you will, and getting in flow, just really cleaning, organizing with no distraction, no music, mm -hmm. no pets, God forbid, no husband. It's great. <laughs> and there is that sense of accomplishment after it's all done. And that th that's the way I feel really energized. So that, again, it seems trivial and meaningless, but the output is really great. It makes me feel really happy to see that I've accomplished something. God knows that when you work all week long, sometimes your house isn't always in order. Uh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And you make a great point that flow is, you can get glimpses of flow in all sorts of tasks and activities. It's not just personal things or professional things. You know, we can have we can have, you know, moments of being in the zone that can come from cleaning the kitchen, certainly. And again, in a more, um, I would say, in a different kind of an example, when we, when we think about practicing gratitude, so we can feel in the zone when we are practicing gratitude, when we are doing something that's spiritual, that could be praying. That's my other example that when I'm praying, I can get into the flow. I don't allow any distractions and I really meditate and feel immersed in what I am doing prayerfully. Mm -hmm. It's a great example of, of how mindfulness and, um, you know, and, and intention, right? Prayer happens with intention. Um, same with cleaning your kitchen. It can happen with a strong intention that this, you know, that 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 you're contributing to the well-being of your family, that you are, um, you know, clearing clearing space for the nutrients to really do their magic in your kitchen when it comes to preparing meals, right? So you're making space for that. So all this, you know, similar with prayer, right? We sit with intention. We're not mindless. Now there's another aspect or another element of positive psychology that seems rather intuitive and that's um, relationships and having positive relationships. <laughs> like, well, so what, duh, that seems like a duh. <laughs> <laughs> duh, we need relationship each other. With, you, know, our, you know, the people that we care about, the pe people that we work with, our family members, friends. Yeah. Yeah, our, our loose ties, people we don't even know quite well, you know, the folks that live on the next block, the, the folks on the treadmills next to us at the gyms, if we're privileged to have a gym membership. So yes, you know, other people matter. You think it's a duh, but it really, it really has been a newer finding within um, biological science, really, uh, over the past 30 years, 20 years of um, you know, that we evolve in groups. It's not just single level selection that happens um, in, in, in evolution, it's group level selection. And so this was a huge aha for biologists in the past 20 years to change their thinking on this, right? That we are such social creatures. Um, 
Uh, Marty Seligman says we're termitable. We're like termites and bees and ants. Um, human beings are uh, eusocial creatures. That is, um, together we're more powerful. Just like those ants in our kitchen, we all, we all know like when we're trying to get rid of those ants, right? How difficult it is because they work so well together. Um, same is true for humans that, um, you know, and this is a bulk of my work in, in, in applying positive psychology in work teams and in community groups. It's, you know, how can we, how can we synergize better, right? How can we integrate and collaborate more fully? And part of that work is done individually, right? So that I have to be well, you know, for me so that I could show up to the we. Um, and so do you for that matter. It's a both and, you know, individual uh, care and other care, both of them together. We used to call it, in the old days, we called it culture and having a, a team culture that works well together where there is truth to power, where people feel supported, where they feel valued. All of those things made so much sense to me because with a good team, you can accomplish nearly everything. When things start to fall apart, a good team regroups and they can turn things around. In a supported relationship, when times get tough, people that you love and care about, people that you're engaged with, even if it's loosely engaged, can sort of help you through those difficult times. I was reflecting on this as we think about social connections. I was thinking about folks like my mom who recently passed away. And my mom entered a community. It was an independent living community. We were concerned because she left the big home and she had her parish and she had her friends in a community that was over 45 minutes away. So it was not that easy for her to be transported back and forth. She stopped driving. She really did thrive in this independent living community because she was able to form social connections. She was able to join clubs. She led a club. She had a prayer group. So all those things made a, made a difference in her life. And my mom was 90 when she passed. And until she was 89 and a half, she was actually thriving and living the love Mia Vita kind of life. She looked good, she was feeling good, but it was really those social connections that did make a difference. And I know that that has their science that informs us that our cognitive decline slows when we have interaction with other humans, even if they are not family members. I believe it, yeah. Um... You know, the, the study that I love is the, the Harvard study of adult development um, that shows that better a predictor than cholesterol at age 50 is the quality of one's relationships, a predictor of a healthy life, a life that we look back on and say, yeah, that was a great life, Satisfa having satisfaction with life. Um, is the quality of our relationships. So yeah, I love hearing that story of your mom. And I um, you know, yes, please, I'll take what she's having or she had in that part of her life, right? That the ability to connect with other people, to lead a club, to participate in a club, all of these things are so good for our well-being at any part of our development. It's, it's so true. And, you know, the, 
the interesting thing is that you don't know who you are going to love in life. You probably haven't met that person. But when we are connected socially, we can find that. And it doesn't have to be romantic love. It can be spiritual love. It can be friend, you know, a strong friendship. And that's, that love is so important to, our, to the positive emotions. It's important to our longevity. It's important to our cognitive performance. And it's important to love your life, feeling, feeling valued by other people, even people you don't know well. As I was uh, reading your book, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I was, as I was reading the book that you co-authored about kindness, even connecting with strangers through a smile or through a gesture, a helpful gesture, just makes us feel so much better. Yeah, that altruism, right, is, is kind of to be that altruistic self smile, wave, hold the door for, say hello to, you know, I think one of the, the challenges with the pandemic is, you know, the mask, you know, the mask just put another, um, another layer of, of separation between us that was already growing and there. And so, you know, we are in need of a bit of a social fitness routine, I think right now, some of us anyway, to to warm warm up a little bit get our muscles get our muscles moving in that social direction to to be the one that says hello to hold the door to wave because there's interesting research that shows it's not just good for you and that other person it's good for the onlooker who observes this interaction is more likely than to pay it forward herself so you know, you think, yeah, this is good for that other person. This is good for me. It's also good for, for people that are beyond even what we what we can see. It's the um, the domino effect that it has on other folks. Kindness mm -hmm. gets got kindness. Yeah, and it definitely starts with self. You know, just as as we are all mirrors to each other. That um, you know, self compassion, self kindness. Um, you know, the way that we talk to ourselves, <laughs> we often don't talk to ourselves the way that we would our friends. Um, and so just kind of raising that volume and, and doing some of the, the work to, to change those neural connections and neural networks. We know that, you know, with the plasticity of our brains, that level of change is possible. Um, and so uh, it, it's just an invitation. No one's exempt from doing the work, I, I always say, in and, and, and unlearning and relearning. Which is a great segue to the search for meaning. So when we reach that place in our lives when we have been on the hedonistic treadmill, maybe we've done that by working as I have for most of my life without a break, or whether that is raising a family without a break. And then you reach that phase in your life where, what was it all about? The search, the search for meaning. By the way, I don't think one needs to wait until one reaches a certain age. We can search for meaning in our teens, in our 20s, in our 30s. I just happen to be an old timer who got there a little late, but it's never too late. 
I don't think you got there too late, Jerry, because you've been so such a faithful person, a spiritual person for a long time, most of your life. Yeah, is that true? It is, it is true. I think the uh, there was a joke in the uh, when I was in your positive psychology program <laughs> about my my alter ego, which was to do something uh, that was totally spiritual. And mm. I could see that there's probably in my former life, if one has a former life, I was probably that person. And I'm still doing a lot of that. So yes, I always searched for meaning. Yeah, yeah I, I, it, it's something that we all crave um, as humans is um, having a meaningful life, knowing our why, you know, having a sense of purpose. Um, sometimes that's aligned with our, our, our profession or our work. Not always um, is that possible, um, but it is possible to have both. I always said to my nephew as he was going to, um, you know, doing his studies, you can, you can do good in the world and you can make money too. They don't have to be mutually exclusive, right? You can have both purpose and meaning and, and have, um, have pleasures. But I think that distinction between meaning and pleasure is really something to, to hold here in terms of, you know, our needs for hedonism, as you say, you know, to have pleasurable moments, but to have meaningful moments, to have depth, to have, to have um, connection in terms of um, not just with other people, but with ideas and with with what we're doing in the world. It's really, really all that important. So they say too, you know, some research shows that people who pursue meaning are happier than people who pursue happiness for their lives. That in the pursuit of happiness, you know, something might be amiss. Um, in the pursuit of meaning, you might also get a nice outcome of happiness as well. Well, in the book on kindness, which it's actually live kind, be happy. You talk about volunteerism, which is also one of the ways to find meaning, doing something good for others without necessarily thinking about the reward. It's an intrinsic reward, right? It's not a monetary reward. In fact, we know, I do a lot of volunteerism, that we often support that group financially, spiritually, you know, so it's the work, it's the wisdom, it's all of that. Sometimes it's financial resources. You get so much more out of it. I'm not sure who, who the beneficiary is, whether the beneficiary is the person that's doing the volunteering or the, the, the organization or the person for whom you are doing the work. But that's a biggie. It's a both end, you know, it's, 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 it's non-binary. I think we're doing a lot of, uh, you know, we're at a place in our evolution where we have to challenge that kind of, that those binary types of thinking, maybe that it's for one or the other, it's for both. It's a win-win. It's such a beautiful thing, right? Where it can be something that is a non-zero sum kind of game where I can win, you can win, we can win. Volunteering is a great example, and it, it's a surefire way to help people cure some depression, which is, you know, when we when we are depressed, it's we're not always depressed. We have, you know, acute moments of more depression than other moments, but a surefire way to help facilitate some some change in that is to go volunteer for someone. Yeah, live out live outside your own cocoon. See what other mm -hmm. people that the struggle that other people are facing, 
and to understand that even that if that person is smiling, this is the face of depression. You don't know what's beneath behind the smile, right? So this is a person that is smiling, but perhaps beneath the smile, there is a lot of trauma. There is a lot of angst. There is a lot of stress. And you can be that change agent for that individual just by virtue of some of the things that you're able to help them with, whether that is in a chore, whether that's feeding them or helping them with their laundry or just showing up at a soup kitchen. Often reminded too of the A in the, the last, one of the last key elements of positive emotions or positive psychology, and that's accomplishment. And when we think of accomplishment, again, as a working professional, accomplishment means something different perhaps to me than it might to others, but I kind of put them in two buckets. So accomplishments personally, you notice I started with personally, and then accomplishments professionally. Because at the end of your life, whatever you do for a living, it's not gonna throw its arms around you at the end of your life and tell you that it loves you. So I focus a lot more on my personal than I do on my professional. Although if anybody who is a shareholder is listening to this, I want you to know that I work really hard. <laughs> <laughs> you sure do. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to accomplish things in our lives that matter to us. You know, things that are not because we should do them, but because we really want to. We have a yearning, a craving, a calling, some sort of intu intuitive indicator that um, running that race would feel really good or um, you know, buying that house as an accomplishment or um, getting that degree or taking that certificate class, whatever it is, whatever you want to learn or do or experience, taking that trip or that, that voyage, that adventure, you know, all of these things um, are, are accomplishments. So certainly having a healthy dose of this in our life could only contribute to our well-being. When we think about that, you mentioned a number of different ways in which to achieve accomplishment. And I always say, think small, start out small, small goals, small, measurable, quantifiable goals. Because if the goal is so lofty, it may be daunting and let's face it, things get in the way and then you feel like you've not succeeded in achieving that goal. So I, I always think about setting small goals. Thoughts on that? Great idea, good strategy, <laughs> really. You know, the more to celebrate the better because, you know, our think about kind of our, our gene expression when we can raise the vibration of our gene expression, our, our emotion, um, celebration is a really great way to do that. So if you break down your goal into smaller steps, you got more to celebrate, but also it helps your brain know what to do next. You know, sometimes I can feel overwhelmed by a big goal because, you know, there's a lot to do next. So when you break it down into sub goals, smaller pieces, steps, really just sets yourself up for, for greater success. Yes, we, we often think about what we're gonna do in a year or two years. I know in your case, you know, earning your PhD, a lot of work involved, you're balancing that, you're balancing your personal life. Uh, Lewis uh, became a father last year. 
So he's he's juggling that as well. So a, a lot a lot going on in his life. But I bet you break that down into all those smaller bite-sized goals so that you can accomplish everything. To be the good dad, to be the good son, to be the good student, to, to run your business. I try, <laughs> I try the best I can. I'm not, always, um, I'm not always successful with that. I forget sometimes to break it down, the goal, even though I know it's true. Our, 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 we're so interesting human beings sometimes. We have a hard time remembering um, what's good for us. So yeah, I think that's where, you know, being part of communities like the one that you're creating um, um, around the good life for example, is so important so that we can remind each other, we can hold each other accountable, we can offer supports to, uh, to each other as we accomplish what's most important to us. And you said showing self-compassion is super important. And it really is, let's think about it this way. When you tell me, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not always good at accomplishing this goal as your friend, I would say, but Lewis, you really work at it, you really try hard. So I show you compassion, but the question is, do we always show ourselves that compassion? When we don't achieve that goal, do we say, you know what? I had, I had to travel across country. I had a dad who was sick. I had COVID. I had, you know, all these other things coming at me, but boy, did I give it my best. Or do you say, wow, I screwed up. I am so bad. Mm -hmm. I am the worst, whatever, whatever it is that we say to her. So there's all that negative talk. So we have to yeah. remember when we're not accomplishing those goals, if something doesn't quite work out the way we want, we have to remind ourselves to treat us, to treat ourselves the way we would treat a good friend. And hopefully mm -hmm. you treat your friends with compassion. Right. We could be so hard on ourselves. You know, it's so important that we, we monitor that voice and we, um, you know, we, we give ourselves breaks. We let ourselves, we take the hook out of our mouth. As a friend of mine says, take the hook out of your mouth, you know, let yourself off that hook. You don't have to be so hard on, on yourself. We have a few more minutes for the podcast. And what I, I want to do is I want to be able to let our listening audience know that we have um, an individual here in Louis Aloro, as I alluded to previously, who has uh, co-authored a book, Live Kind, Be Happy, How Simple Science-Based Kindness Practices Can Make You Happier. His co-author is Celeste DeMilla, and the two of them have an easy to read, but very important book that helps us all at a time when kindness should be part of our daily routine. If it's not part of your daily routine, I strongly encourage you to read the book because it will make you feel good reading it. But there are some simple practices that we can start to employ that will help not only you, but will have a domino effect as I indicated earlier. So live kind, be happy, Louis Aluro and Celeste Milla. And then if that wasn't enough, Lewis is a really busy guy. <laughs> he teaches 
a live virtual well-being science certification course. And you can learn more about that by going to his website, lewisaloro.com. So Lewis, L-O-U-I-S dot Aloro, A-L-L-O-R-O.com. Whether you are independent or working with a group in an organization or just a lifelong learner like I am, I strongly encourage you to take a look. Take a look at Lewis's website. And hopefully you will also decide that you want to be part of that. So Lewis, it would be lovely to have some of your folks in that in that course uh, that starts in September. It's really designed, um, Jerry, for um, for all sorts of different professional backgrounds to come together and to have uh, an immersion into the science of well-being. We invite people and, and coach people into applying it personally. And we then teach people things they can do with their work teams or their community groups their families, and then even at larger uh, scale than that, people that are interested in, in whole kinds of organization intervention. So it's it's really a, an amazing group of people, very diverse that come around it. It's a lot of fun. You've been in a class with me, Jerry, you know, it, it attracts good people. Yes, it, it does attract good people. And Lewis has this massive fan club. So we, form, we, we formed our own Facebook groups and it is, it is <laughs> It has become cult-like, so he's an absolutely <laughs> wonderful instructor, but more importantly, he is an absolutely wonderful person who does practice kindness. He is the real deal, so he not only talks the talk, he walks the walk, and that's most important. So Thanks, I, strongly, Jerry. I strongly endorse his course his Applied Positive Psychology program was by far one of the best programs with some of the best people I've ever met. So check it out. You don't want to miss it. So nice to talk to you today. Like one, of the, one, one of the last pillars of well-being we didn't hit was health and vitality, right? That, that piece about eating well and sleeping good and exercising appropriately, those kind of foundational game changers that really um, are important for our, our well-being. So I don't want to end today without throwing a plug in for the, for, the, for the most basic units of well-being, eating, moving, and sleeping. And uh, in terms of rest and recovery, you know, we need more than we're getting. So let yourself rest and recover when it's time to turn off, turn off the news, the media, the work, and just rest. And if you need help with health and vitality in the form of products, you know where you can turn. You can turn to Fem Pharma and the Love Me Avita products. Again, thank you, Lewis, for your contributions today. And we're likely to invite you to come back with part two. So listeners, stay tuned. Love, Mia Vita. Oh, 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 oh,